Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Some say first impressions are overrated, but few can argue with the fact that we make snap judgments within moments of meeting someone new. Oh, of course, there's the initial observations of clothing, appearance, uh, smell, you know, those normal things. But, but perhaps even more importantly, there are these micro facial expressions that we notice that indicate to us whether a person is open to relationship or not, kind or not, competent or not, confident or not. And within moments, we've made decisions about those people, decisions we may not even be aware of that move us either toward them in relationship or away. First impressions don't dictate success or failure in a relationship, of course. In fact, if we've learned anything from the many deeply insightful romantic comedies that we've all enjoyed, sometimes the very worst first impression is really a setup for the most epic love story. No, first impressions don't determine the success or the future of a relationship, but they do affect how that future is engaged. As Will Rogers said, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So let me ask you, if you can remember, what was your first impression of Jesus? I suspect we may have a variety of responses. If you were raised in a Christian home, Jesus was already there when you realized, you know, you were awake. And, and so you may not have a first impression that really stands out to you. I suspect those of you, though, who met Jesus later in life might have a sharper memory of what your first impression of Jesus was. And I would love to hear it. Some of you might recall that your first impression of Jesus wasn't that good. In fact, maybe your first impression misled you. And it took you quite a while to get back close enough to Jesus to have a second or a third encounter alter that first impression. And then there are those of us who maybe haven't had a first impression of Jesus at all. I mean, of course, you've heard about Jesus here and there who hasn't, but you've never really got a chance to hang out with him. And I'm glad you're with us today. I hope, actually, that this message series where we're featuring these encounters with Jesus might be, well, a way that you can have some first impressions of Jesus. And who knows, it could be the beginning of an epic love story. What was your first impression of Jesus? All over the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the four authorized biographies of Jesus that begin the New Testament, we see numerous personal encounters with Jesus. 
And for the next six weeks, we're going to look into six of those experiences, as told to us by one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, the Apostle John. I'm going to have a few friends from the church join me in this teaching, in the teaching role in this series. And so our hope is that by seeing people meet Jesus and then witnessing the impact that that had on their lives, that we too would meet Jesus, that we too would be changed through that encounter. For our opening day, we're going to dive into some of the first impressions of Jesus that are given to us in the opening encounters of John's gospel, right in chapter 1. We're going to notice some of the first impressions that happen in the story, but I want to offer some of the first impressions that we can receive as we read it, too. Well, after the opening prologue of John's good news story, it's that opening section that we already heard this morning, beginning with you know, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, this Word who was the light to the world, and then this Word that became flesh. Well, then John zooms into a key character that sets Jesus up. John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. Now, John the Baptizer is not the same John who wrote this letter, because John was a popular name back then, too. Um, This John was baptizing people, and he was actually a cousin of Jesus. And he was called by God to be a prophet who was going to prepare the way for God's chosen Messiah, Jesus himself. And he was really making waves. In fact, first impressions of John were so powerful that people were starting to wonder maybe if he was the Messiah himself. I'm not, he said, but I'll be sure to let you know when he happens along. And John did just that. In fact, the day day right after when he had to clearly explain that he was not the Messiah, Jesus came walking by and he was able to point out who the Messiah really was. In verse 29, we read, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. The Lamb of God. It's quite a title, right? It's quite a first impression. Who is this guy? Well, he's the one who's going to come and himself be the full and final sacrifice for God's people? I mean, set against the backdrop of Israel's sacrificial system where lambs were sacrificed for sin year after year, generation after generation, as a kind of temporary stay on judgment, but never really accomplishing full forgiveness? John now points to Jesus as the one who's going to come and complete the job. Through this man, not only will the sins of Israel be covered and removed, but he will take away the sins of the whole world. And John's witness to Jesus here plants a seed, at least in the mind of a couple of his own followers. Because the next day we see this scene repeat, but this time with a different result. Pick up with me in verse 35 of John chapter 1, and I'm reading from the New Living 
translation. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. The seed that John planted starts to emerge from the soil, and these two disciples of John had heard too much to just stand there and stare as Jesus walked away. They had to move. They had to leave their own rabbi and follow this new one, Jesus. This Lamb of God. I mean, did you catch what he... Was it something about sin? I don't know. Let's go. We don't really know what they were thinking at this point. All we know is that Jesus was deeply attractive to them, and they wanted to find out more. And so they fell into step behind him. Quite literally, Jesus is walking by, going somewhere, and they found themselves leaving John, who was standing, but now walking along behind Jesus, who is on the move. We're going to see this over and over again. Here's a first impression. Jesus deeply attracts seeking people. Which says volumes about the kind of first impression that Jesus makes on people. Whether it's these first two boys who start trailing after Jesus or the few more that we're going to meet today or in any of the stories we'll be hearing through this series of encounter, there's just something about Jesus that attracts seeking people. Even if they're far away from God, Uh, Even if they've been deeply resistant to organized religion. In fact, unlike these two boys here who are probably good Jewish boys, pretty devout, um, we'll see how Jesus makes powerful first impressions on those who have been condemned by mainstream religion, who've been rejected by the elite class, or who have just found themselves unwanted and on the edge. When they meet Jesus, they cannot help themselves. They want to get closer. They want to know more. There's something deeply attractive about Jesus. But there's something in this story of first impressions that that we shouldn't miss. It's kind of a learning that I noticed. And that is this. First impressions about Jesus are often framed by faithful witness to Jesus. Did you see it? It's because of what John said because of his repeated witness, not only in clarifying that he was not the Messiah, but being faithful to point out Jesus when he walked by. His faithful witness framed their first impression. We're going to see this happen today as we continue, see if you can pick it up. But before we move on, I I just want to point out the obvious there for those of us who already follow Jesus. Our faithful witness to Jesus frames others' first impressions of Jesus. People start getting attracted to Jesus, or at least open to it, often before they even meet him, because of how we represent Jesus in our lives, in our words, in our love for others, our love for each other as the church, the way that we speak, interact. And I don't want us to mistake the word witness as simply talking about Jesus as the son 
of God. Talking is important. That's essential. That has to happen. But only if it's nestled within a life that is already following Jesus. When we are following Jesus, and that doesn't mean doing life perfectly. That doesn't mean we've got it all figured. No, no. But just honestly getting in behind Jesus and following after him, letting him lead our lives, letting him bring change as he can and does, then we who are followers of Jesus, we're part of that first impression that Jesus has on others. And seeking people may not even be able to put their finger on it, but there's something intriguing There's something winsome, inviting, even compelling about a community of Jesus followers who look and love like Jesus. Something which sets them up to have a great first impression of Jesus when they finally meet him. But this also explains why there are many people who get blocked from that first impression. Because when the church, when followers of Jesus live only for themselves or misrepresent what the good news of Jesus is all about or maybe live in a way that contradicts the kingdom of God, then many people don't even want to meet the one that we claim to follow. That is happening now. Do you know that? There is a current perception out there that Christianity, and in particular evangelical Christianity is actually an angry, politically driven, right-wing movement that's actually committed to grabbing power for their own sake. Now, you can quibble with whether that's true. You can say that that's an unfair perception. But friends, that is a real perception. And it's often reinforced by how Christians behave, by how they act and speak and engage publicly, and certainly online. Which makes it difficult then for Jesus to even get a shot at a good first impression. It's kind of like, well, if that's what Jesus' followers are like, why would I want to meet Jesus? In the famous words of Gandhi, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. Ouch. It's sobering, isn't it? Makes me do a gut check, a heart check. I think it should for us all. An honest audit of how are we individually, but as a church, how are we representing Jesus? How are we framing that first impression? The truth is clear. Faithful witness to Jesus frames good first impressions of Jesus. But faithless or false witness fails to do so. Now, Thankfully, John the Baptist and many more down through the centuries into today, you, me, others around us, we're working hard to provide the kind of faithful witness to Jesus which is helping people meet Jesus. And I am so thankful for that even as we do some gut-checking on the ways that we need to perhaps take seriously this challenge, that the perception can be off. Well, let's keep moving through the story. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he said. And they replied, Rabbi, which means 
teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Something else stands out here. Something we're going to see again and again through these stories of encounter. Not only is Jesus deeply attractive to spiritual seekers, Jesus openly welcomes anyone who will come. What do you want, Jesus? It's a genuine question, but it actually has multiple levels of meaning. And they don't seem to be able to come up with a good answer on this spot. And so the answer kind of, I think it's the first thing that comes to their mouth, which is, what are you, where are you staying? Which is not, really a not-so-subtle way of asking, can we just hang out with you for a while? Can we just, like, be with you? Can we talk? Jesus loves that. And he invites them to come and see. And this is where we see the heart of Jesus, who graciously hosts them as his guests. Jesus openly welcomes anyone who will come. There's no prerequisites of status or devotion or righteousness or intellect. Nothing that has to be achieved in advance to sort of warrant his attention or his welcome. Only this, really, a willingness to come and see. Jesus isn't forcing himself on them, but he's also not standing still. All that's required is a willingness to come, to follow, to see. But that really is something, isn't it? Because there was lots of people in Jesus' day, lots of people around, around John the day when he was pointing out Jesus who were too busy, who just kept going, who maybe were mildly interested, like, whoa, what does that mean? But they had other things on their plate, and Jesus would have welcomed them too, but they just didn't go after him, and they missed out on that invitation. Which leads me to kind of a second point of learning here, and that is this. When people meet Jesus he immediately initiates some kind of movement in their lives. Something. It can be very subtle. It can be tiny. But there's an invitation to come after him. If for no other reason than the fact that Jesus is himself moving, there's, a, there's something in there. Maybe we could interpret it this way, that when people come to meet Jesus, there's, 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 a, there's an invitation there to engage him in some way, to come and see. Maybe that's to pick up a gospel and read it, or to try out a local church, or find one online, or maybe even listen to a song or, or a speaker on, on YouTube, or, or begin to ask questions of a Christian friend. There's some kind of movement, and as small as it is, it's what Jesus is looking for, a willingness to move, a willingness to come to grow, to get in a little closer. Because when that willingness is there, when that heart is open, there's no telling what will happen. When first impressions lead to further conversations, that's when the Jesus magic happens. When people actually sit down with Jesus, when they get face-to-face, they hear him, they see him in action, they're going to get way more than they had bargained for. They might have been expecting to sit down and maybe flip through a gospel and, you know, get some wise words or meet some sort of spiritual friend. But what they get is the word made flesh. You know, they may have been thinking when they began asking questions about this Jesus that they're going to hear about a guru or a prophet. But what they discover is the Lamb of God. 
the one who has come to be with us, God in the flesh. Well, what does this mean for us? I think it means that on the ground in our everyday lives, that our witness to Jesus is all about just helping people in whatever way we can to have a direct contact with Jesus himself. Our purpose is not to get people to look at us, but rather together and in their own way and according to their own pace, let's meet the living, breathing, walking, talking, risen Jesus Christ. And yet, yes, of course, what happens in those conversations with us, it's going to happen as we're telling stories about Jesus' impact in our own lives, but it's all about how people connect with Jesus himself. It's when the Holy Spirit gets in there and starts revealing who Jesus is in those conversations. Wow. People open up their Bible and they see things they've never seen. When they start engaging in conversation and something comes to light that they've never heard, that's when people meet Jesus. Let's read on. Verse 40. Because now more characters are getting in the mix. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of these first two, who had heard what John had said and then followed Jesus, Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Are you seeing what I'm seeing here? So much is happening. We've already seen a lot of it, though. It's, it's on repeat. We see again how deeply attractive Jesus is to spiritual seekers. We see again how he is openly willing to receive anyone who comes. And we will see again how he initiates some kind of movement in their lives as soon as they come into contact with him. But we also see how Jesus what he sparked in someone's life is now beginning to be replicated. Andrew finds Simon. Calls him to come. Tells him what he's discovered. Philip seeks out Nathaniel. And when he's confronted by his skepticism, he reuses Jesus' own invitation by simply saying, come and see. Come and meet him. Well, let's finish the Nathaniel story as we wrap up because it's through this final Nathaniel encounter that we see another very important truth about first impressions. Verse 47, as they approached, this is Philip and Nathaniel, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. 
Kind of a big change, just a little side note. Quite a shift in thought, isn't it? Something's going on there. Very powerful for Nathaniel in what Jesus says to him. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. So Jesus deeply attracts seeking people. And he openly welcomes anyone who will come. But here at the end, we discover that Jesus gradually gives more to all who follow further. There's a promise in this first encounter. A promise of more to Nathaniel, but to all. Not everything about Jesus is just cleared up in that first encounter, is it? It takes months. It takes years. It takes a lifetime to come to know who Jesus really is. But what Jesus promises here is more will be revealed. In fact, things that are beyond your imagination. You will see me. You will see who I am. You will see what I'm all about as you follow me further. The promise is there. Which is good because whatever Nathaniel thinks he knows about Jesus, whatever has struck him so deeply that he has moved from can anything good come from Nazareth to you are the son of God, the king of Israel, which is a, a kind of a head-snapping move. Um, we know that he's still got a long ways to go. He doesn't really have a clue what those terms mean yet. I mean, he, he thought he did. I'm sure he had an idea of what he meant. But Jesus, through his life, through his ministry, through his teaching, through his death, through his resurrection, he's going to redefine those terms, what it means to be the Son of God, what it means to be the King of Israel. He's going to redefine them for them all, for us all. He's going to fill up those meanings with himself. Nathaniel really has no idea what's coming. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Jesus knows, and he promises to gradually give more to all who follow further. And what they'll receive, what we'll receive, is far beyond what we would have expected, based even on our first impression. There's a final learning point for us here, and that is this. Jesus accepts our starting point, and then invites us to grow from there. Wherever we are, Jesus says, just come. Come and see, but also come and you will see. Wherever you stand, whatever your understanding is, whatever your confusion might be, whatever experience you've had, whatever bad or good impressions, whatever hurt or pain or disillusionment or or, or heartache, whatever it is, the invitation is to just come and let Jesus do the rest. Let him unfold who he is his identity, his purpose, his passion. Let him unfold that while you're walking along with him. Because it's through the following and the watching and the seeing Jesus in the flesh, not as an abstraction or an idea, that his identity will come into true focus. I wonder how we can do the same for others. I wonder how that might be true in our community, where we can say to people, Whatever your starting point, that's great. Just come and see. Come and you will see. That's the invitation that Jesus gives to everyone. 
It's the invitation that comes out from us to others as well. Well, let's wrap this up. Through faithful witness, we frame people's first impressions of Jesus. This is just true. And through those first impressions, some people, not all, but some will want to go deeper, want to discover more, and Jesus openly welcomes all who will come. And as they do, there is a promise. They will discover more, more than they ever could have imagined, not only about Jesus, but about themselves, as they follow him along the way. It all traces back to Jesus. It all traces back to this encounter. You want to meet Jesus? Come and see. Come and follow. Come and discover. Jesus loves that. He wants to walk with us along the road. He wants to show himself to us, to reveal the truth of who God is and what he has done. Come and see. Want to help people discover who Jesus is? Well, let's follow hard after Jesus ourselves. Do you know what makes a great first impression on others about Jesus? It's watching people, men, women, children, watching the church, just follow Jesus faithfully. And as we do that, as we're walking along the road after Jesus, we're looking at those who are walking past and saying, this guy is awesome. Come follow him with us. That's how first impressions are formed. That's how encounter happens. That's how lives are changed. First impressions do matter. But whether this is your first or your fifth or your 500th encounter with Jesus, Jesus is just calling us all to come and see. Calling us all to come, promising that we will see even more as we do. And through that encounter, everything will change. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.